0: The reading is taken from Luke chapter nine, verses 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, but he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. He gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Aya.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Um, yes, as Andy said, my name's Eleanor. I'm the Associate Vicar, and I've realised I've been here a year this weekend, so it's lovely. Um, oh, I wasn't expecting a round of applause at that point. Anyway. <laughs> Let's, um, and I'm also slightly tired because yesterday, Lizzie Russell and I were uh, spent the whole day with the Year Fours from St Paul's School uh, in the heat, watching them climb things and shoot things with arrows. They were meant to do it, don't worry. Um, And everything else. Uh, It was awesome, and um, if you want to find out more about that, do chat to me afterwards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for your word, and thank you for this opportunity to look at a passage that may well be familiar to lots of us. I ask that you would help us to hear your voice afresh this morning in these familiar words. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I just said, this is probably, for lots of us, a familiar passage. Um, but but this is, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this passage in Luke is, is quite a lot shorter than some of the others. Um, you know, particularly from John's account, which has one pa- passage and a little bit other stuff. And then he comes back and uh, explains it a bit more. Um, but it's the only miracle, apart from the resurrection, that we find in all four Gospels. So if you're making notes in your little um, Luke's Gospels, you might want to write down where the others are. Um, You can find the account in Matthew 14, in Mark 6, and then in John chapter 6 as well. And of course, when we have a familiar passage and when we have one that is written about in a number of different Gospels, we need to remind ourselves that when we have a miracle like this recorded in different Gospels... We might read them and and, and see them saying different things, but don't forget that the gospel writers, they're writing it from their perspective or from the eyewitness accounts that they have heard, and often they're writing it for particular theological reasons, and also because they're writing for a particular audience as well. And what we find in all of these accounts is that they don't contradict each other But what they do do is that they give us a a more rounded picture of what was happening, what was going on. But obviously we're looking at the Gospel of Luke this year, so I'm going to look now at this passage from Luke. And of course it's always harder, isn't it? When we're looking at a passage that we probably know quite well, especially when we know it's in other Gospels, It's easy for us to come with other things in our minds that we've maybe heard before or presuppositions that we might have as we look at a passage. To be honest, it's hard to preach on it for that reason as well when it's something that that we know quite well. So what I want us to try and do this morning is to look at this passage through the three different groups of people that we have. I want us to think about Jesus, always a good thing to do. (laughs) I want us to think about the disciples. And I want us to think, too, about the crowd that were there. And also, I want us to just be aware that it's good for us to come to this passage afresh, that we're not coming to it um, (laughs) empty-headed. We've heard it before. Maybe we've heard lots of sermons on it before. But let's ask God that as we look at this passage, that maybe we look at it afresh, We see what God might have for us today, because we know that God always has something that he wants to teach us when we look at his words, because scripture, let's face it, is like a multifaceted diamond, so much in it. So let's first of all then look at Jesus, always a good place to start, and I love that picture of Jesus sort of sitting on a rock, and you just get a sense of the number of people that are there listening to him. Before we go any further, um, you probably hear me say this quite a lot over the coming years, that I always think it's really important for us to acknowledge and recognize the context of a passage that we're reading. We cannot take it out of context. Because often, we can look at what's going on around, and it helps us to understand what is going on. Because what we need to acknowledge here is that Jesus has recently had some bad news. He's heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded Actually, if we look in Matthew and Mark, we see that more clearly. And we also see, if we look at the passage before this, which Andy's going to be preaching on tonight, um, that the disciples have just returned from a missionary trip. So they've come probably full of stories, no doubt wanting to to debrief, wanting to share those stories, maybe the highs, maybe the lows, because when we go out on mission trips, often there's highs and lows, aren't there? Jesus has been doing so much ministry. He's been healing. He's been raising the dead. He's done some deliverance ministry. He's preached. He's given out a lot. That is the context of what's going on here. And so what do we see them doing? We see them withdrawing to a remote place called Bethsaida. I've actually got a map for you because I like maps. Um, this is a map of the Sea of Galilee. And where you can see Capernaum, that's Jesus' hometown. And so they go up to Bethsaida. Um, and um, it doesn't look very far, but don't forget, they didn't have like, public transport or roads or anything like that. It was much harder. And having recently been there, it's not just across the road. You know, it's a distance away. And, of course, they go there to a remote place to get a bit of rest and peace downtime but think about what happens next what we find out is that the people find out the crowds find out where they've gone just imagine that for a moment imagine being followed by crowds of people when all you want to do is stop when all you want to do is rest and debrief and pray all that sort of thing yet this huge crowd follows you you know, a huge crowd, 5,000-plus people. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, what that would feel like, to have 5,000 people um, following you. How do, what does 5,000 people look like? It's a lot. And that's not even including the women and children who may well have been there too. I'd never um, take, not take an opportunity like this, but I, I went to Wembley a couple of weeks ago. Um, well done, Sheffield Wednesday. Anyway, and... Um, <laughs> Just being in Wembley with these thousands of people, is quite overwhelming having all of these crowds of people, let alone a crowd of people following you and wanting to hear from you, especially if you've gone somewhere for solitude. Not that I went to Wembley for that. <clears throat> anyway, and of course, um, you may have uh, picked up in the press in this last week of stories of people being hounded by the press, usually for bad reasons. But it must be quite horrible to have quite so many people following you. But here Jesus is being followed. Not, we presume, for for, for bad reasons, of course, but for good reasons. Because people have heard what he's been doing. They've heard stories of what he's been saying. Maybe they've already heard him speak. And I I wonder what your response might be at this point, (laughs) being surrounded and followed by these thousands of people. Would you want to run away? would you sort of want to tell everyone to leave would you go and hide in a cave or behind a bush or something like that well look what jesus does jesus he welcomes them jesus welcomes them and then he heals them and he talks to them about the kingdom of god that's a challenge for us isn't it when we want downtime I know I need my downtime, even though I am definitely an extrovert. I need time to stop and rest and often to debrief. And I know that I've probably gone through phases when I've had a bit of sort of compassion fatigue, when all I want to do is have someone help me, not to have someone else to help or to pray for and things like that. But Jesus here, what does he do? He has compassion. He welcomes and of course, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? That there is a need for us to be willing to give time to others when it might not be what we want. To ask God to stir us to compassion when we may not be at our best, let's face it. But I also want to say that I do believe there's a need for us to also recognize in this that we're not Jesus. You know, I'm not Jesus and neither are you. We are not the Messiah, we are human we are fallible. We need rest. We need time. We need space. And of course, if Jesus needed those things, we need it so much more, don't we? Because elsewhere in Scripture, we see that Jesus did go and rest, and so did the disciples. So this isn't about us being martyrs and working ourselves to the ground because we won't be helpful for others in that. It is, though, about our attitude Because what if our response to someone is the only time they will come into contact with a Christian? Surely we want to show them Jesus, the one who welcomed. In other words, we don't work ourselves to the ground trying to do everything. But we do ask God by his spirit to give us an attitude of welcome. So that we show Jesus in all our interactions with others. So we see Jesus welcoming, we see Jesus' compassion, and we see his grace. As we've already heard, we know that Jesus was no doubt tired. You know, remember he was human, but so were his disciples. And here we see his compassion is greater than his exhaustion. He knew that this was what he needed to do. And what we see really here is that Jesus, the good shepherd, is at work. The one laying down his life. The one showing his compassion and his grace. Part of that welcome is his provision here. His gracious provision. When what he may have wanted to do is to stop and rest. But instead, he provides graciously for the crowds. And what that reminds us is that Jesus' priority is always us. His priority is always you. I find that so helpful and encouraging, that Jesus' priority is me. His priority is you. He is a welcomer. And we see that in this passage. So let's move on then. Let's move on to the disciples. What do we find out about the disciples in this? Well, we find out that they learn to trust and to rely on God. Now, I've already talked about the context a little bit, but we're going to look a little bit more at the context now um, because it's really helpful when we see what happened before this passage which, um, as I've already said, Andy is going to look at this evening. But let's just have a look at a couple of verses. This is verses 1 and 2 of Luke 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he sent them out to do what he was doing here. He was... um, doing amazing things, but he also gave them instructions as to how they were to go. I've just realized that what you've got on that screen is a little bit of my notes. Isn't that strange? I'm not adding to scripture at this point. Let me make that clear. But where it says, so he sent them out to do what he was doing here, those are my words, not God's words. Let me make that very, very clear at this point. That's where it's always good to proof look at your notes and your screens. Anyway, let's move on to the next slide. Next slide, please, in the true whatever. Um, This is what... um, uh, Jesus says after that. So Luke tells us that he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. So he's sending them out, but he's saying, don't take anything with you. You know, they're not to take money, they're not to take clothes, they're not to take food, not to take anything that would keep them going. You know, just imagine what that would be like. I mean, let's face it, whenever I go anywhere, I want to make sure I've got everything I need. My phone, my keys, my purse, a bag, maybe a snack, a drink. And if I'm staying away, far too many clothes than I need. And that's just me. I mean, I've seen how much stuff people with children take with them. I mean, it's incredible, just for a night. Surely the disciples, in all of that, as they've been sent out, learn. Learn what it means to rely on God as they're sent out. Yet here, they're questioning it. They're unsure. But of course, this isn't isn't just them here. You know, this is a massive crowd. This isn't them just saying, well, I'm all right. I I don't need my money when they have a crowd of 5,000 people. And so it's not surprising, really, is it, that we see that they want the crowds to go home because they're concerned about how they're going to be able to feed all of these people. You know, there's no takeaways, there's no B&Bs, there's no meal deals. They can't see a way through. And their request to send um, everyone home, well, it makes a lot of sense, really, doesn't it? You know, it's a lot of people. But Jesus, who, remember, has already told them not to take things with them, says... You give them something to eat and their response is well it's basically jesus you can't be suggesting we get food for all these people can you i mean we've got a couple of bread rolls and some fish but that's not going to go very far you know we can't buy food for that many people you know there wouldn't have been any supermarkets nearby or anything like that but as we heard jesus gives them instructions and then look what he does Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. What we see here is Jesus' authority. He is the one who breaks the bread. But then it's the disciples who are the ones who serve it. It's like he's playing their, his part and they're playing their part in the miracle that Jesus performs and so the disciples learn that Jesus provides and they serve. He provides, if you like, for the ministry that they then do. But look at what he does. Look at what he uses. He uses what they have. I love the fact that they have some food, whether that came from themselves or from the boy that we hear about in other uh, versions of this story. And it's that which he multiplies. And maybe that's a challenge, maybe that's a reminder for us that Jesus uses what we have. We may think it's not much, as the disciples suggested, of course, but but God can still use it, and maybe in miraculous ways as well. So what is it that you have that maybe you think, well, that's not very much? Maybe like that song we've just sung, Tiny Little Me, you don't think you're very much. Maybe you have a gift, maybe you have resources. Maybe you don't think they're very much. But Jesus takes a different approach. What could you offer to Jesus for him to use? Maybe at this point the disciples were also reminded of all the, uh, the other miracles that Jesus had performed. Or of those words in, in Luke 1 where the angel speaks to Mary and says, Nothing is impossible for God. It's really important, isn't it, that we, when we face things that are really difficult, that we, we look back, that we see what God has done for us already. Andy did that with us earlier in the service, didn't he? So what we see here is that the disciples had no choice but to give Jesus what they had and to rely on God. And in the context of what we see in this passage before, this is a much larger version of what he'd said to the disciples Jesus was sort of really showing them an object lesson on a massive scale of just how much they could rely on God, just what God can do. So let's finally turn then to the crowds. Now, the crowds, um, we've already heard about in the other earlier chapters of this um, Luke's account of what went on with Jesus' life We've already heard about the crowds coming to hear Jesus, um, bringing those who need healing. And here we have reports, don't we, of over 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men, but it's likely that there would have been some uh, women and children as well, so probably more than the 5,000 that we read about. But what do we find out about the crowds? Well, actually, when we look at this passage, we don't really hear very much about them. But what we do see... Firstly, is that they follow Jesus. It's a good start, isn't it? They follow Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, well, of course, they will find out more about him. And I was thinking back to when we were thinking about our sort of church purpose statement. um, And uh, we knew we wanted to have the words way, truth, and life in there because they're in that plaque there and obviously they're in the uh, wall above me. And it seemed too obvious for a while for us to use the word following. Um, I think it's probably because we were a bit concerned that it was a little bit too much like social media and all of those things. But actually, it makes so much sense, doesn't it, to say following Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. Because what we see in so many of the accounts in Luke's gospel is that the people are following, the crowds are following Jesus. And I thought about this, and I thought about all of the crowds that were following Jesus around Galilee particularly. Imagine if they put together all the things that they saw, all the things that they heard. I'm sure we would see just how much they learned about the kingdom of God through Jesus, through witnessing what he did through the healings, through the miracles, through the teaching, You know, it's true, isn't it? When we spend time following someone, we find out more about them. And hopefully most of that's good. And of course, with Jesus, it was. You know, if you're on social media, you follow someone. Not always good, let's put it like that. There is no better way, is there, to be a disciple than to simply follow Jesus. And so maybe that's a challenge for us this morning. To think, how are we doing that? How are we getting on with following Jesus? How is following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, going for you? It can be really hard going at times, can't it? For all sorts of reasons. But look at this crowd. They followed Jesus to a remote place. You know, it wasn't just round the corner. It was remote it can be hard going, but it's worth it. Uh, yesterday, when um, I was at the um, event with these uh, year fours from St. Paul's School, they were doing a climbing wall, and a few of the children really struggled. You know, They got to the sort of second, I mean, they did a lot better than I would do, I'll <laughs> make that clear. Um, and they were sort of you know, get to a couple of steps up, and then they stopped. No, that's it, I can't do any more, can't do any more. We are like, yes, you can, go on, you can do it. And they might get a bit further up. And then we moved to another climbing wall and they got a little bit further up. Then we got to the final climbing wall and some of them got to the very top. And it was just so beautiful to see these children who'd really struggled to begin with just growing confidence, knowing that they could do it, partly because we were encouraging them, they'd seen others do it, and they got to the top. Now, following Jesus isn't like a climbing wall, but think about that in terms of how God can lead us and help us putting in the time and the effort to get to know him better, reading his word, praying, spending time with others. And finally, look at what happens for these crowds. After they follow Jesus, we read that they were satisfied. Verse 17 puts it like this. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So they're satisfied by what they receive. And we need to hold on to the fact that it says all of them. Um, It wasn't just some of them, it was all of them were satisfied. And that word satisfied is really important because this isn't just a little, you know, these aren't just tiny crumbs of bread. This is a hearty meal which satisfies them all. The Greek word that we have translated as satisfied means to fatten, to be full. Andy's smiling because I've used some Greek. Well, I've not read the word, but yeah. So, in other words, there was plenty of food. So much so that there's even 12 basketfuls left over. Everyone eats and has their full. And isn't that a beautiful image of God's generosity? Not only was there enough food to feed everyone, but there was enough so that they were all full, with plenty left over. Before the service, we were praying, and someone had a word, um, and it was this. Jesus is saying, I want to feed you. Don't be satisfied with the crumbs. Feast. That is what God has for us. These 12 basketfuls remind us That what God has for us is something that can satisfy so that we are full. It's, of course, a reminder of God's generosity, his good generosity. Um, The 12 probably represent the 12 um, tribes of Israel, which, of course, is a good number in Scripture. But there's another reminder here, too. Because what we also see here is a a beautiful foretaste of the heavenly banquet. That one day we all, God's people, all of us, will be with Jesus, the bridegroom, at the heavenly banquet where we will have our fill and we will be satisfied in every way possible. And of course, isn't it beautiful that today we will be taking communion? It's almost like it was planned. We're going to be taking communion in a few minutes. And of course in that we have a further reminder as we receive bread and wine of that heavenly banquet of all that Jesus can do through us and in us. And so maybe as you come up for communion this morning, maybe you can think of all that happened as Jesus and his disciples fed this huge crowd. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to come afresh to Jesus and say, I want to follow you or please use me, I might feel small, but that's what I can offer, and I know you can use me. Or maybe you might want to come and simply say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for this visual reminder of what awaits us in the heavenly banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful reminder of your grace, of your provision, that in you as we follow you, we find that we can be satisfied. Pray that you would help us bring what little we have to you and that we would see how you can work in us and through us. Thank you that what we find in you is not just simply crumbs, but is a feast. And as we come to communion in a moment, I pray that we would, even though we're only taking a small amount of bread, that in that moment, you will remind us of the feast that we find in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Wonderful. Amen. Okay, what's going to happen now is uh, the children and young people are going to...